I've been told by everybody up on this roof that they're all off the roof. I am on the roof of Exposure 4. Got fire through the roof of the fire building in the entire rear section. Hey, welcome to Old School. I'm Chief Rick Lasky, along with my partner, Chief John Salka. And uh, uh, John, uh, you know, we, we, we talk leadership a lot. We talk um, uh, uh, tactics and strategy a lot. And uh, mo golly, a, a variety of topics. We're, you know, rapid prevention and all that different stuff. Um, we've talked, when we got to our leadership programs about, you know, your people always come first. Um, you know, as, as an officer, as a company officer, it's always about your firefighters. It's always about, you know, and, and uh, you know, we signed up to do a job. Uh, we talked about that before that this is, you know, you screwed a helmet to your, your, you know, your head, you became a public servant. And you always say in class, you know, we've signed up to do what in the fire service. And you, you always go, you always tell them, I just gave you, I just gave right. you the answer. It's what word service. Right. And, um, you know, we go from there, but you know, real quick, you talked about this once before about prioritization. Before we get going, where, where, where we want to, the topic we talk about here, when it comes to prioritization, you you've told that story before about Marty Monahan. You know, your your really good friend, all right. Uh, and and talk, talk real quick about putting your people first because you know where I'm going with this because we're going to talk about number one and number two in a second here. Sure, and. Uh... For those of you that have been listening to us for a while, you, you may have even heard this story because, frankly, it applies to so many different aspects of what we do and what officers do and what, what happens in firehouses all around the country. But uh, it's a great story. And it's, and it's a story about a friend of mine who was a captain in the uh, FDNY, you know, working on engine company one night. He was there and big job in the middle of the winter, but he's frozen. They're there for hours. And Eventually he realizes, holy cow, we've been here for a long time. Let, let, let me check with the chief, see if I can get out of here, which we do in the FDNY. That's routine. They relieve some of the first two companies and uh, when it gets to be a long, dragged-out operation. Anyway, he runs over that chief station. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah man, I, I thought you guys were gone already. Uh, you're on the first alarm. Like, yeah, get, can you get your rig out of here? Yeah, we can get out. All right, yeah, get out of here, get back to quarters and warm the guys up and get them fed. He said, listen, Cap, do me a favor. Go right in service if you can. He said, uh, we got a lot of relocators here from Manhattan and from Queens, and I don't, I don't like too many relocators. It'd be nice if they're just some regular companies, no way they're going for the streets and all that. And he says, oh, yeah, you got it, Chief, no problem. So off they go back to quarters, pull back in quarters, backing in. And um, first, thing, first thing he says to the senior man was, tell the guys, get the rig in service, man, first, no matter what. Fill up the booster tank, let's change the bottles out, make sure the fuel's topped off and, and everything's ready to go. Okay, Cap, you got it. nothing else. Just get that done first. You got it. You know, 15 minutes later, there's a knock on the door. He's upstairs. They, okay, Cap, it's all done. Well, you know, rig's ready to go. He said, good. He said, uh, tell the guys now they can, you know, shower and change and put the laundry on and do what they got to do. Uh, and when we're and we're in service. Chiefs want us in service right now. We may have to run out the door, but tell, tell them they can get ready and shower it up. Good, good, good. 
Off he goes. You know, another 15 minutes comes by. Hey, 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 Cap, we're all done. All right, good. He said, uh, listen, we've been lucky. We haven't even had a run. Don't put dinner on and let's, let's, let's get see if we can get some eat before we even get out of here again. Maybe get another run. And boom, they go down and put dinner on. And, and, then, and then what do they do next, my friend? What, what do the officer do then next? Then he, then he took a cold shower. You know, and I, and why, I always and why, did, and why did he take a cold shower? Right, obvious single firehouse. You know, they don't have much hot water they had. He knew he had five firefighters and himself. And after they all got done, I mean, the last, the last firefighter might have taken a cold shower if he didn't get in there quick or if the guys didn't cut him short. But he knew that, and he knew that, and he was a great officer, and he always took care of his people first ahead of him. And he knew that even though it was going to be a rough night for them, and they'd already gotten some work under their belt, he wanted to take care of them first. So. You know, it brings me back to that book, The Mission, The Men, and We. We've talked about that before as a whole topic, as a whole discussion one, one time. But though I, I think those priorities apply as much equally to the fire service as they do to the military and, and, and other, other branches of service as well, military and non-military. That, you know what? The Mission, The Men, and Me. And it's a long book, and it's a great book. But, but you, can, you can sum that whole, that whole title up by saying the mission comes first, we got to take care of the fires first. We got to put fires out. We got to go on runs. Runs come first. The men, which is the firefighters, men, women, the folks that work for us, and me. And in that title, me is considered the officer. Me is considered lieutenant, the captain, the sergeant, the Marine Corps, the police department, whatever it is. You got to know you come last. You don't get promoted. You, you might be getting promoted up the chain of command as far as pay and stature, but not as far as importance. And if you're a good boss, you're taking care of your people well ahead of you, even even sacrificing your own comfort and your own food and your own hot water and your own whatever so that your people are taken care of. And that's what makes loyal employees. And that's what makes good bosses. You know? Well, and, and I've had, I asked you to tell that story again, cause we have, <clears throat> we've mentioned that a couple of times on, on, on our old school podcast. We've mentioned that with our fire engineering podcast, the command post. And we mentioned it a ton of times in class, you know, uh, over and over again, cause it's such a great message about, you know, your people always come first. The men who work for you always come first. So hands down, no argument there. Number one, number one, number one, your people come first in the firehouse of what you do. However, John, you know, and, and this is kind of where I was going with this. You, you know, I've talked about this in class before. You even did an article on this, I think, about we, we kind of, you know, we, we have a way sometimes of overthinking things in the fire service, taking things to an extreme, you know, running things out over the edge, off the pier, into the water, into the deep and all that stuff, instead of stopping somewhere and, 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 and you and I are all about safety of our people. We're all about keeping our people healthy, safe, and alive. Um, I always tell the story. I've told it hundreds of times about being with you in your firehouse when, you know, when, when, when your, your last day in the Bronx and one of your young firefighters actually referred to you as a safety Nazi. And they meant it as a compliment. He goes, you better go, you better have your seatbelt, you better have your gear on, your tools, be ready to go to work, you know, and the whole thing, you know, that, he knows when he hears your voice on the radio, you know, they're getting their ass kicked in a fire, you know, the hallway of a tenement, that things are going to get better because he knows you put him and, and the guys and gals that work for you first. He absolutely knows that. And, and, and that itself is a confidence builder and a comfort thing for firefighters too. But, but John's, uh, you know, I think with a lot of just talk in the past, Oh God, so many years, I'd say that probably the past seven, eight, maybe a decade, maybe, Things have kind of you've seen this paradigm shift a little bit where all of a sudden and I don't, I don't want to I don't want to well I'll just say it, it almost appears like we've gotten selfish where all of a sudden it's like wait a minute we come number one 
and, and everything else comes number two. And, and I, I understand, and, and you, I know you do too, we've talked about this, where when we say, you know, we're, we're number one, well, yeah, you know, our people should be number one. We just said that with our training, with our safety, with our turnout gear, making sure everybody has portable radios, making sure we do everything we can from, from mental health awareness and, and, and counseling and coaching to leadership to making sure our people are the best equipped, the best trained, you know, the best in the way of their cognitive skills, their psychomotor skills, everything they need to be a great firefighter to be able to take care of those people out there. But then there's a switch, right? There's a switch that gets thrown in a way when, and you say it best, you pull up at two o'clock in the morning at ladies outside and she's yelling at Chief Salka, grabbing your coat saying, my 10-year-old just ran back into the house after a dog. What changes right there, John? Right, right. It's absolutely true. And, and when we say that, you know, your people are number one, what we really mean by that is, is in perspective to you, compared to you as the supervisor or the boss or the leader or the officer, yeah. compared to you, they are number one, right? They, they come ahead of you. you got to put them ahead of you. However, now we're looking at a, a, a bigger, we're looking at a bigger situation, a bigger field of vision, and that's the fire ground or the, or the crash scene. And suddenly we have people, we have civilians, we have some of them. We have people that pay taxes and people that live in town and people that have been here for decades and people that are driving through on a business trip. And suddenly we have a victim, a civilian, a person trapped in a building. Guess what? None of us is number one. Suddenly they are number one. I mean, we try and treat ourselves well. We try and treat our firefighters better than we treat ourselves, meaning as officers and leaders. But once it comes down to the doors rolling up and us going outside, we're a service agency. We're here to provide service. And we're here, you know, everybody loves getting dressed up in a uniform and saluting with the crisp white gloves and, and the flags and, and all, that, all that, that wonderful, wonderful stuff that, that signifies what we think of the service that we do and the, and the job that we do. However, you got you got to listen to the words once in a while, and you got to remember the word sacrifice. Sacrifice means you're sacrificing your safety, you're sacrificing your comfort, you're sacrificing your, you know, all the things that 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 make you, you know, that comfortable is one one of the words. But the the point is, when it comes to people that need help, that those are the things that get sacrificed. Suddenly. Suddenly, we have to operate out on a slippery highway. We have to stop the rig, get off the rig, yell at each other. Guys, somebody watch back there. Make sure none of these trucks slide into us. Billy and Tommy, go up to the rig and see if you get them people out. Or, you gotta, or somebody's got to jump in the water without, a, without scuba gear, without a life preserver on, because there's a, a car sinking right in front of you with people hanging out the windows. You know, you got to go down a hallway, even though you're fully geared up, even though you got a hose line, even though you're trained, guess what? You're crawling into a burning building. You were outside, you're crawling in. You're sacrificing yourself to some degree. You're sacrificing or risking, you know, injury and, and all sorts of other things. And it goes all the way up the chain, you know, to the end, right? And I think we have to remember that. And, and sometimes I think when, when you don't do that a lot, when you don't have a lot of life-saving situations, when you don't have a lot of working fires with people trapped or things of that nature, sometimes I think we get a little lazy. It's just human nature. We get a little lazy and we start to think about our own comfort first. We start to be interrupted. Oh, they're interrupting another meal. We just sat down for this meal. Now we got to go out on a run. And suddenly you start to take on this, this victim attitude that, oh, my God, we got to go out there again and, and miss this hot meal. Or, or we, got, we went out three times last night after midnight. Oh, my goodness, your, your good night's sleep was, was interrupted. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and we're not being sarcastic because nobody likes their sleep interrupted. But when you're at work, that's part of the job. You know, and all, all – we are number two really means is just remember that when the, when it hits the fan, 
those folks out there, they just stepped up a notch. They are the priority, and we got to do what we got to do. Well, exactly. And, and I want to go back to something you hit on that I kind of led down to is, yeah, absolutely. We want to take care of our people, make sure they're best equipped, and make sure that, you know, one of the things we've talked about, I use it as a model. Boy, Darren Woodridge and, and Coeur d'Alene and in, in Louisville, the, our risk, our risk, you know, assessment, you know, kind of thing of, you know, <clears throat> our risk, you know, our statement, if you will. And that was, you know, the, the, the three different groups where we risk our lives a lot in a highly calculated, controlled manner to save a stable life. That was number one. We'll risk our lives a little to save our, save savable property in a highly calculated, controlled manner. We'll not risk our lives at all for property lives already lost. And I think the majority of the firefighters and officers I meet, John, do just that. And, and, and take the fanciness out of it. When, when you're talking to a firefighter, you say, well, in a, in a highly ca- calculated and, and controlled, highly calculated, controlled manner, calculated, right? We get there. That's what we talked about. This is where you tr- calculate is. I know building construction. I know fire behavior. I know how much water comes out of the hose. I know how much hose I have. I know tools, equipment, everything that goes into, you know, you should be able to stand there and make a highly calculated decision. And, and all those factors, and this is a lot of the cognitive skills, a lot of the, the training stuff. And then controlled is, is quite simple. Those are your SOPs, your SOGs. That's your accountability system, the incident command system you know, good officers, good leadership and all stuff. So when you have, when you're making decisions based, and we all do this, based on a highly calculated controlled, in a highly calculated controlled manner, then and then only, you just like you said, you make that decision. You know what? All my training, everything I paid off enables me right now to take the risk I need to take to save a savable life. I know there's someone or I think there's someone. You know what, guys? This is why we've done all the training we've done with darked out zero reduced visibility mass. This is why we did the room orientation drills. So we crawl inside this building with zero visibility and look for someone who's gasping for last breath of air or needs us to start breathing for them again. This is why we stretch hose and we stretch it sometimes in semi-hostile conditions so we can get in there and apply water and, and, and you know and different methods on applying water. This is why we train with our air packs or SCBAs. This is why we train in RIT Mayday. This is why we do all this stuff we do. And, and, and forget just the fire scene, how we cut cars apart. You just mentioned dive rescue, swift water, all these things we do. Folks, for our listeners, we are not sitting here condoning crazy-ass stupid behavior. In fact, let's go back to what John's guys in the Bronx, his firefighters referred to him as, as a safety Nazi, meaning, look, he wants you. You better be able to kick ass and take names and do your job. But you don't do stupid shit. You don't do stupid stuff. Because we want everybody to go home. So that, to be able to make that decision, and, and you know, you've got someone inside. Like I said, you, you use it in class all the time. You pull up, it's two in the morning. That mom told you that her ten year old, you know, ran back into a puppy. You take your helmet. You say this all the time, John, in class. You go, <clears throat> you take your helmet off. You look inside your helmet as you're going to mask up. There's a number two in there. Number one's that kid there. Now, back to the highly calculated control. Now you get inside, you're making a hallway and it's just shit, man. It's just ginning, like they say. And you know what? You're to a point where you just can't go any further. This is where your knowledge base, your cognitive skills, your training pays off that you can make the decisions you need to make as to how far and what you can do. Cause there's a point where you go, this, this ain't, this ain't working. We can't do this. We have to find a different avenue or whatever. That's that first part. You know what I'm saying? So go ahead, buddy. And, that, and that's the great thing. There's two points here. The first one is, you know, sometimes it's hard to figure out where that line is between risking a lot and really making a move and doing it the best way you can and, and freelancing and maybe going a little bit too far because we all know people 
We all know people that are like, wow, that guy is unbelievable. If there's a rescue to be made, he can do it. And then we also all know people that, oh man, this guy is crazy. He'll, he'll go, you know, he'll go beyond what anybody else would do. And, and, and I'm not saying either one of those two firefighters do, do the exact same thing all the time, but we, we know sometimes we got to push. We know sometimes we got to risk a little bit more, like you said, for somebody who's really, who's really at risk themselves. And you got to be able to know when to do that. When to say, okay, fellas, that's it. Come on, back out, back out. We're not going to make this. You, you got to know there's a, there's a point. And the same thing with that risk versus reward decision-making that we do all the time. You might, you might make that decision three times going down one hallway to keep going, keep going, keep going. And then you finally get at the end and say, you know what, either we need another line here. We're going to have to back out. Oh, we got no lines right now. Okay, guys, we're going to back out. And then you decide you're not going to go any farther. So that, that's an important, an important well, part too. And, and you've mentioned this a bunch of times. I have too. Part of that, like we're talking about, in a highly calculated control manner, the knowledge base and the skills base, and you know, bringing your knowledge and your hands-on skills together to be able to make those decisions – now let's let's turn let's turn back a page as to what you learned from people like a Ray Downey, you know, a Pete Lund, a Bill Allen, where both of us were able to you and I have both been there where we and, and, and I know guys have said about us, but let's I'm paying compliment to our bosses, our mentors, where we looked and went, did does did he really wants us to go where? Really, we're gonna go down in that I mean he you know, where you're like, this guy's out of his mind. You know, it's like it's like that tribute to Ray Downey after 9-11, when one of the guys said, there were times he'd throw an out order out there. We're like, what? Why does he want to do that? Why are we doing this? And 15 minutes later, that order would come into play. Well, I, I remember Todd Cervenka, my, one of my captains, kneeing me so hard in my ass to get me up the stairs to this fire. He hit my tailbone. You know where you get that little buzz in your spine? And I'm like, gee. And he, he, he was pushing the back of my bottle up into my – and I'm like, damn it, I got the hose – and I realized he was right. You know, I'm saying this is experience. This is somebody that knows how far to go. Actually, Rick, where you're laying on the stairs is a very bad position. Like the right basement fires, get down, get off the staircase, get out of the flow, get out of blow path, get out of path. Especially you open the nozzle, that steams that come up. That's how guys get chased the right. They get they hang up, they get halfway to the basement stairs, John. They open up the line, the steam comes back, and then they go screaming up the stairs and they get hurt or they drop the line. Instead of beating ass down the stairs, getting off on your shoulder, hitting it, letting the steam and, and everything go right up above you out, out the top. But this is where people like Pete Lund and Bill Allen taught us, look, that's why I'm in charge. Follow me. I'm not going to get you hurt. You know, and, and right. You've said it before where there's been times you went, you've doubted going, look, I follow orders. I'm going with them. But inside your head, you're going, Holy crap, man. Is this guy out of his mind? Only to find I'll, out. I'll tell you right now. It's not always dramatic stuff. It's not always life-saving stuff. Sometimes it's a woman across the street coming over to the firehouse asking for assistance with something, getting a smoke deck to put up, or, or her self-closing door is not working, and she's afraid that, you know, some smoke's going to come in, or, or, or even a kid that's lost in the neighborhood. I mean, sometimes you're just sitting down for, for dinner in the firehouse or lunch, you got a great meal going, and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door, hey, uh, Lieutenant Smithwick, you got somebody in the front door here, and all of a sudden you realize, it's going to be a public service call. Okay, guys, let's go going out. And and nobody wants to ruin lunch or leave it on the table and get cold or get warm or whatever it is. But that's all part of it. You, you know, at every turn, at every call, at every suggestion, anybody who knocks on the door that needs help, that needs help, we put down what we're doing and we go and help. That's the only reason you're there is to is to serve the public and help them. Not some bothersome guy that comes by every single day with ridiculous, useless, you know, requests. Although you'd probably be helping him for a while before you realize that was. But, you know, when somebody knocks on the door or somebody calls up the dispatcher, 
I've never heard a dispatcher say, sorry, uh, we don't do that. Here's an number. you got to call. I've never heard that done. <laughs> you know? When we get called out, we do it, even if it's stuff that we normally don't do. I mean, look, look what's going on right now with this coronavirus. There's gigantic things happening all over the country, and fire departments are doing what? Answering calls. Answering calls. Some guys are answering tremendous amounts of calls. Some guys' calls went down the drain. They answered nothing. Haven't had a call in three days. We can't, no- we can't put the phones on call forwarding, right? We're it. We are, we are the end of the line. We're the last telephone pole on the road. When, when people are looking for help, they get to us. There's nobody behind us. It's us. And I love cops, and I love military, but not even them. It's always us. You, you can't pull a firebox in New York City and not have a fire truck pull up. Impossible. It might be 332 engine from Brooklyn relocated to 48 engine in the Bronx because there's a, a fifth alarm going somewhere, but somebody's going to show up there, and, and it's not going to be long, and it's not going to be long. And three, four, five guys are going to pile off that rig. What do you need, lady? Whether she's bleeding, whether she's crying, whether it's a kid that looks lost, you know, and these are all sound, it sounds like a commercial, you know, for to be a firefighter, but it's absolutely true. And if that's not true, and if that's not true in your fire department, if, if that isn't absolutely true, that when somebody calls, they send somebody, no matter what it is, then you should think about changing policy. You should think about what it is you're doing for your community because it's the only reason you're there. It's the only reason they fuel up them rigs and, and put light bulbs and the lights in the firehouses so you can be ready to go out the door and help them. Exactly. We said this. They dialed 911 for us. We can't dial 912. We're the end of the. There's, there's no, there's no, well, we'll just put you on hold or we won't answer the phone or we're too busy. You're, you're exactly right. And, and that's back to, you know, again, you know, where, where, you know, this number two thing, again, and I want to emphasize, John said it earlier, I said it earlier, it does not mean we're throwing caution to the wind and we're not, we don't care about, it's actually, pick up on what we're saying here. Are your people always come first with your training and with how you take care of them? But there's a point where that flips to where now you take all that training, all that education, all that experience, all that leadership, and you know what? It's time to do your job. It's time. It's you know. It's time. It's time to go to work. It's time to earn your paycheck, right? Or you know, time you know, volunteer or not. You know what I'm talking about? Time to go do your job. So, so number one, we talked about when there's a savable life, we do whatever we can. You know, we do whatever we can, and as I said, in a highly calculated, controlled manner, with our experience and our training, to do what we got to do to save whoever that is. You know, sometimes. You know, you, 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 right. One of your, one of your buddies, Patty Brown was known for, you know, a lot of people said it, but he was known for a lot of different quotes. One of them was, you can be the safest fire department in America and, and, and it's still going to be a dangerous job. It's a dangerous freaking job we do. So then number two, John, that is, you know, and our risk management statement is, you know, we will risk our lives a little in a highly calculated controlled manner to save us, you know, save saveable property. Isn't that true? Do we not? I, I know I already know what you're going to say, but do we not risk our lives a little in a, again, back to the highly calculated control, knowing building construction, being safety conscious, knowing our capabilities, our limitations, all that there was stuff, our training, experience, leadership to save savable property. Don't we do that for people? Absolutely. And, and there's people out there that, that don't think so. No, obviously you're making some different decisions there. You're not going to quite risk as much or go as far, you know, conditions, but we still do do it. You still have to save people's homes. I mean, there are people that don't have insurance. There are people that don't have insurance in their apartment. There are people that own homes that have very low insurance with very high uh, deductibles. And if something burns down, they can end up with a fraction of what they started with. You know, the, obviously possessions are possessions compared to a life. We're going to go much further for a life. We're going to risk a lot more for a life. But we are paid to do both. We're paid and asked and sworn to protect lives and property. And you have to be able to measure the difference there, but it's also what we do. 
Well, exactly. And, and again, you know, as we break those three, you know, uh, assignments, if you will, into those three categories where, again, risk, you know, risk our lives a lot to save us, you know, high calculate control and save a savable life. We talk about that a little, we're risking a little to save savable property, but we're not risk our lives at all for lives of property that were lost. And, and, and this is where it gets really iffy, John, because, you know, it, well, for some people, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer is good bosses, good leaders, good tacticians can pull up and make that decision and go, this is done. It's over with the building shot in the head or whatever. You know, lately you can't, you can't read a, a, a story on fireengineer.com or firehouse.com about a vacant building all of a sudden that doesn't have squatters, doesn't have people in there. Well, it wasn't actually vacant. There were people in there or whatever. Now you pull up and you've got a building all boarded up, looking crap your house. Do we get, do we get as aggressive as this? You got mom out there saying my 10 year olds in there? No, but, 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 but we still fight fires. We still make every attempt to search searchable areas. You know, it goes back to what you and I talked about on a show not too long ago. We both love the close the door campaign. We've been saying this for years to residents and close the damn door to firefighters. If you're doing venting or search, close the door, isolate all this stuff we're telling little kids and people to close the door and wait for us because we're coming. And at times we're not really coming or we're going to be about 10 minutes delayed because we're standing outside. Now, again, we've talked about this a bunch of times. There are times where you need to do a transitional attack as a manpower, you know, staffing, whatever you've got going, there's only a couple of on the rig or whatever. We all understand that. But, but you know, there's a point where, and, and you and I've talked about this a bunch of times before uh, actually it was a great conversation with Alan Brunacini on our, our, our podcast fire engineer years and years ago was we need to start treating buildings like we treat patients. And that is, you know, if, if Sal Blooming Grove or Louisville went to a gunshot wound to the head, got to a gunshot himself in the head, you get there, your paramedics do their first round of drugs for the family, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. First round of drugs for the family and off you go and you get back to quarters and the guys go, what'd you have? Gee, we go, oh, guy, guy shot himself in the head. They go, did he make it? <coughs> Excuse me. And you go, no, silly little hole here, big hole here. Ooh, they don't call you Dr. Death or nothing. But if you go out to a fire and, and they go, hey, what'd you guys do? And they go, oh, you know, Salka backed us out. We put one on, we put one on the ground. We put one on the ground. You know what I'm saying? Um, we put one on the ground. You come back to quarters and what do they say to you? Oh, you know, you're a bunch of foundation savers. And, and we, actually, we actually guilt our people into going to buildings they should be going into and, and that's kind of where I'm going with this. There should be a way, <laughs> I hope to God, that you can decide wh- which is a which is a, a an environment you could put your people in and, and one that you can't. And I love that. Every now and then, you got to treat a building like a shot in the head. You've done it in the Bronx. You pull up and said, guys, no, nobody goes in. The, the building's done. It's gone. There's nothing in there. There's nothing. Every room, it's full. You know, you know what I'm saying? There's a point where you go, guys, the building shot ahead. We do our first round of drugs for the family, which is water, <laughs> and and we're going to protect our people, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and and that that's the important part of being, you know, an officer and instead of commander or a battalion chief or district chief, whatever your rank is, whatever your role is, the, the, those are the unseen things. Those are the things that I mean, we could talk about it all day long. You can go take a class on it. You can read a book on it, and it's still difficult concepts to to understand. And then they're further compounded by the fact that when you get to the scene of an incident, it's not like any other incident you've ever been to. It might be just a little bit more serious. There might be a little bit more risk. There might be a lot more risk. There might be a skosh less risk. 
every incident is different. It's never a repeat of a previous one. So even all your experience to some degree still has to be looked over before you can make a decision at your next incident because it's different than, than the 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 you, that you've already done. You know, so, and it's real important. The good thing about it is you, you're able to, you're able to, cor to correct and adjust. You know, you start heading in, you start stretching in, and all of a sudden you realize, man, wait a minute, wait a minute, guys, this is not working. All right, open up them lines out here. Stay on the front lawn for a minute. We got a doctor in this town. So we, we can easily change sometimes, but that's if you're still on the front lawn. You get two lives inside 10 feet before things start going bad. You might end up, you know, with, with a more dramatic, dangerous situation. Absolutely. Both for us and civilians, the folks that we're trying to, we're trying to rescue. Yeah. Well, exactly. So, and, and we've been talking about that very thing about, you know, the title of this, this particular podcast was we're number two. We're number two. We explained how that, how that works and that, you know, when we kind of switch around with that, when we, you know, we, we know what number one means for our people and all that. John, as we close things out here, sum, summarize, run, run us through that, run us through this, this whole we're number two thing, you know, in summary here, what we just talked about. In summary is, and again, I think we hit it pretty, pretty accurately right up front. There's obviously we know we're important. We're the caregivers, we're the first responders, we're the firefighters, and and our and our safety and and security is important. And it, and it's the job of our officers and chiefs to make sure that happens. But but we, what we also have to remember is once we come out of the firehouse, once we go to work, once the bells ring, then there's a slight shift. Then suddenly we shift from being number one to being number two. We're number one at the drill site. We're number one inside the firehouse. We're number one when we're training, but then suddenly when there's an alarm, someone else is now in danger. And we have to take a, a short step back into the number two position and remember that we come second and those folks come first and we have to make every effort to try and get that done. Now, sometimes we don't, or sometimes we can't, and those things happen, but, that, but that's not the kind of thing we're planning on or looking forward to. Most of the time we're looking to be successful and elevate whoever it is that called us to the number one position for the duration of that incident. So there it is. So train your people, equip your people. If you're a boss, make sure your people have everything they need to do their job safely and efficiently. Get your people prepared as a company officer. Train them so they're the best at what they can be because it's all about those people out there. We're no good to them if we're not at our best. You know, we're at our best when someone's at their worst. We've said that for years. That's what we train. And and then you can actually spin it around. Like you just like you said, where we get there and we we do our we do our risk assessment and we go we go to work. We go do our job. So Hey, that's hey, buddy. That's another one. We're talking. We just got through talking about we're number two. Um, uh, you know, again to our listeners, you know, firehouse.com, fireengine.com, great, great information out there. Firefighter Nation. Um, you know, UIL, 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 UIL. I'm talking sports again. Um, UL does some great stuff. NIOSH. We've talked about them as another great resource for uh, injuries, a line of duty deaths, or for our particular business as, we, as we're selfishly talking about us. So there's, there's a wealth of information out there for you to dig through. Um, but, but that, that's it, John, if they want to get a hold of you. Chief John Salka at gmail.com. And I'm chief Lasky at gmail.com. Don't forget uh, to subscribe either to iTunes um, or to go to my YouTube channel. If you're listening on uh, YouTube right now, make sure you subscribe. So that way you get these notifications. When we post our old school podcast right away. So that being said, we always ask you to keep the men and women and, 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 and the armed forces in your thoughts and prayers. Keep our brothers and sisters in law enforcement as well there. And remember, never forgetting means never forgetting. Thank you. God bless you. Be safe.